right, we are talking about resting in the Lord. This is our third and final message for this series. We have taken two, previously two great passages about resting in the Lord. Psalm 37, where God just says, rest in the Lord. And then Matthew 11, where God says, bring me your burdens. Take my yoke. It's an easy one, and you'll find rest. Genuine rest is one of the great keys to a successful life. It is good to feel rested. And even sometimes uh, we as Christians that probably can say like the old hymn, it is well with my soul. My body's having a few issues right now, but hallelujah, it's well with my soul. I can, uh, I can find uh, I can find peace and rest in my soul. And I'll tell you what, that goes a long way at helping you feel better. Of course, when you're just in pain, it's pretty hard to find much rest. But I will tell you, if you're going to find any, it's certainly going to come through the Lord. A wise man once said, invest in rest. That'd be a good thing just to remind yourself. Write that down. Invest in rest. Another said, when you give your heart a break, you give your whole self a break. God's rest is so important. It is vital that we take time to replenish ourselves. And as we replenish our spirit, then we can serve God. And listen, we can serve God from the overflow and not from the leftovers. I remember one uh, Christian father in our church uh, give the testimony that every day when he came home from work, the first thing that he would do when he parked his car in the garage is he would pull down the little visor there and um, on, his, uh, on his little visor, he had the reminder to invest in your family, to not give everything you have and then come home and be nothing, but to invest in rest. And, you know, we can't serve God unless we feel rested in our spirit. It's going to be hard after a long day of working, but while my body is in pain, you know, I can just be rested in the Lord. It is vital that we serve God from the overflow. We were watching something on video and wanted to finish it, but knew needed to stop. We needed to rest, and so I hit the pause button. I hit the pause button and left it and then came back later and was able to finish that little program. And you know, I really believe in today's passage, that's what God's telling us to do. You need to learn how to push the pause button. You can continue this another time and you will. But if you push the pause button, get rest from the Lord, then you're going to be able to serve God with a replenished spirit and you'll serve from the overflow and not from the leftovers. And that's what I want to do. David said, my cup runs over. I've been, I'm so full that it's just spilling over to others. And that's the kind of life we want. Let's bow our heads forward to prayer as we ask God's blessing on this message. Father, we just ask your blessing. We ask that you would teach us to learn to rest. Help us to just be willing to take a step back. Help us, Lord, to learn the value of Selah, to just pause and take a rest. Lord, I thank you for these precious saints, that these uh, weeks now we have 
learned how to find our peace in you. Give us your grace this morning. And Lord, I promised you this morning that if you would bring the great congregation, I would preach the righteousness of the Lord. And so, Lord, I intend to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, a little bit of background information in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is not most people's favorite book. We often will go to an epistles or we'll go to one of the poetical books, but the book of Hebrews has a powerful theme. Basically, the theme is Jesus is more better. <laughs> he is more better than anything, not meaning he's uh, better than anything that God made that's perfect. It's just that when you have the real thing, that which is uh, in you, the relationship with Christ, it is the awesome thing. And so he talks a lot about Israel. The book of Hebrews is written with a Jewish mindset. It's to the, all the Jews that were all over the Mediterranean, whether they were being Rome or Greece or wherever they were spread, he was reminding them of well, the plans that God had for Israel in so many different ways. Now, in chapter 4, actually had begun the, uh, the talk, the concept in chapter 3, but in chapter 4, he's going to talk about resting. And he uses it in five different ways. And if you have your outline there, or if you want to jot these down, he first of all talks about a Sabbath rest. Now, when you go through chapter 4, if you don't, uh, I've I got to tell you, even how many times I've read it through, I had to read it through many times again this week just to kind of get my head wrapped around it again. might help you to read it in a different translation. Sometimes it just kind of make it more clear. Sabbath rest, meaning that sense of fulfillment that God had when he finished the acts of creation. Now, was Jesus... God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, was the Holy Trinity, were they tired after creation? No, they weren't tired after creation. So when we're talking about resting, it's not a sense of being tired. They were just, uh, it was a beautiful sense of fulfillment. There was a Sabbath in the soul. Then there is Canaan rest in Hebrews chapter four. As you read through uh, the chapter there, you'll notice that God is saying, uh, I have planned a national rest for Israel. And after they had wandered for 40 years, and then he gave them rest in Canaan land, and it was a symbol of a spirit-filled life. That's what Canaan land reminds us of. Then there is salvation rest. And um, he talks about Joshua um, leading them, but it wasn't Jesus. And Jesus will give salvation rest. And that's what a believer feels. It's that sense of peace that a believer feels upon finding true salvation. And I'll tell you one thing, genuine conversion is the most amazing thing. When you find a person who is truly born again, I mean, it is a transforming thing. Their eyes are different. Their spirit is different. Their mind is different. I mean, it is just a, it is a transforming thing to be truly saved. And then he talks about an overcomer's rest, that rest of victory after we have broken the power of sin. And it's such an amazing feeling to be able to not feel so uh, tempted and so beat down by the devil with our habits and our bad things that we like to do sometimes. And it's a terrible feeling to feel so 
drug into sin. But when you feel that victory over, boy, it's just awesome. And then eternal rest. He talks about heaven as being that true Sabbath where we get to go to heaven and uh, forever it'll be a day, a time of Sabbath. And so really that's uh, the five different Sabbaths that he talks about in Hebrews chapter 4. Now how do we enter into these uh, rests? How do we enter into these uh, times of just finding the peace of God? Well, there's actually four steps to entering into God's rest. And each one is prefaced by the words, let us. And so let's go to verse number one. In fact, let's read it together, if you would, please. If you have your Bibles with you there, or you can look on the PowerPoint, let's read it together out loud. All right, Hebrews 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. The first step is to be aware. Stay alert, or as it says, let us therefore fear. Now, this is not preaching some kind of a, you know, dread that we're supposed to always afraid, you know, God's got us on a thread. He's going to drop us into hell if we don't, you know, follow the church or no, that's, I don't know who believes that, but that's guaranteed not what the Bible is talking about. God is talking about this sense of uh, real responsibility of being very careful that we don't mess up in this area. And so God issues a heavenly caution. Too many of my children, too many of Israel are failing to enter into a life of genuine rest, a life of victory. So stay alert because there are things that are trying to kill your faith. And maybe that's a good term here, faith killers. Watch out for faith killers. And notice in verse number one, he references promises. A promise left us. Now, Jesus left us. Well, he, in his earthly body, uh, ascended to glory, but he left us in a sense that he left us uh, earthly promises. One of them, for example, is in John chapter 10. And verse number 10, I am come to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly. The true joy and the true genuine peace that comes in life is a unique legacy for followers of Christ. It's our business then to see to it that we lay claim to it. Rest is the dominion of a believer. Rest from the dominion of sin and rest from the attacks of Satan and rest from the flesh. The devil's goal, of course, is to keep us deprived of genuine rest. And so the Holy Spirit here uses a history lesson about Israel. In chapter 4, if you'll read through it, he's talking about they had all these opportunities to enter into rest, but they really failed. I mean, they had amazing victories, but they stopped short. And notice what it says here, that he, uh, in verse number uh, 1, it says, lest any of you should come short, falling short of what God has planned. And he said, if you're not careful, uh, you're going to fall short of all that God has for you. And these people were very persecuted. The Jewish believers were being put down. They were uh, being overlooked for promotions at work. 
There were divisions in their family because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were called uh, haters or people like that in the community because of their strong morals. And so it'd be easy for them to be tempted to go back to the old life. Ah, it was easier when I didn't go to church. It was easier when I didn't give my money away. It was easier when I didn't, you know, serve God and try to witness. And, you know, I'm stirring up the waters too much. But here the writer of Hebrews is reminding them, he's saying, look, stay faithful. Don't let the devil kill your faith. Stay aware of what the devil is trying to do. Because if you'll stay faithful... God will bring great results in your life. They once did a study. If both mom and dad attend church regularly, 72% of the children remain faithful. If only dad remains faithful, 55% of the children will stay faithful. If mom, only 15%. If neither attend regularly, only 6% of children will ever end up being a faithful a tender in church. And so what he's saying here is, uh, in these same verses, he's just saying, look, stay faithful. Don't stop. Watch out for faith killers. And if, if you're not watching it, the devil will come in and steal away your faith and steal away your joy, and then you'll lose the, all the blessings, that abundant life that God has for you. In fact, look what it says in verse number two. He said, you'll have no profit from your Christianity. Verse number two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. It wasn't mixed with faith. You know, it's one thing to hear the word, but if we don't do the word, it's not going to be any good to us. We have to do something about it. We must apply it to our lives. I remember reading a story about a little boy who went to his friend's house. And every time this little boy went to his friend's house, uh, he always saw his grandma studying her Bible. He finally asked his friend about it. He said, why does your grandma always read her Bible? He answered, he said, I don't know, but I think she's cramming for finals. (laughs) You know, the truth of the matter is uh, we are, and we should be cramming for finals because God wants us to remember that, you know what, the, the Bible, the Word of God, apply it to your lives. No matter how old we are, we ought to keep loving our Bible and keep loving it and putting it into our life. Unless the promises are mixed with faith, it does no good. That's why God says two people can sit in the same service. One person will be blessed and walk out with strength, and the other person gets no benefit from it. Now, the, the word here, mixed with faith, is an interesting phrase. It's actually a metaphor. It's a Greek phrase. It is a nutrition term. The idea is if you have um, food in your hand, but you don't mix it with the gastric juices, if you don't mix it with, you know, the things that are inside your belly, it won't be of any use to you. I mean, food in your hand does nothing. Food in your body mixed up with the system that God has planned, it brings great nutrition. And that's what the term is here. He's saying, it's, you've got all these promises, but if you don't apply them, if you don't work them over, then it's not going to be any good to you. Stay aware. They are faith killers everywhere. There's worry as a faith killer, and pride is a faith killer, and bitterness is a 
faith killer. And ignorance of the word of God is a faith killer. And so he is saying, let us be aware of this. We need to be cautious because if you're not careful, you're going to let bitterness steal your faith. You're going to let worry steal your faith. You're going to let greed, this constant greed for more, is going to steal the rest that God has for you. The late Billy Graham, thank God for his life, the late Billy Graham told the story of a little child that was playing with a beautiful vase. And he put his hand inside the vase and couldn't get it out. The father tried the best to get the hand out, but to no avail. Finally, the only thing they could think of was just to break that vase, but it was very expensive. And so the father figured one last time he would ask his son to let's see what we can do. And so he said, now, son, watch me. He said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your hand as wide as you can. Then I want you to shrink it down so that we'll try to pull your hand out. And to their astonishment, the little boy said, oh, no, dad, I couldn't put my hands out like that because I would drop the dime that is in my fingers. <laughs> and you know, there are thousands of people I know that are so busy holding on to the world's worthless dime, we can't be free from the things that are binding us. And God said, be careful. This thing, I want you to have faith. And when you mix it with your, all the promises, you're going to have a great life. You're going to have a rested spirit. You're going to find rest in your souls. That's what we want. So the first step is to be aware. The second step is to be diligent. Verse 11. Let's read verse 11 together, if you would, please. Ready, begin. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Here's that phrase again, let us. So the second thing, the second step is be diligent. Give diligence or labor. Pastor, are you saying that the Christian life is work? You bet. The Christian life is work labor. It is work. And these people that say the Christian life isn't work, I don't know where they're getting that. Now, I will say this, it's a blessed work. It's kind of like parenting. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big responsibility, but it's a blessing. It's a, an amazing blessing, a huge blessing. But here's what God is saying. It's that same principle we talked about last week, and that is that it takes work to find rest. Isn't that strange? It takes work to find rest. It's kind of like going on a vacation. I mean, we plan so hard. We have to do so much preparation to go take a week off. By the time we get the week off, we're sitting there going, man, that took a lot of work to rest. That's the same way. God said, you've got to work if you're going to find rest. Prayer is hard work. Getting up on time change Sunday and being here for Sunday school or church, that's hard work. Getting the kids all ready and getting them here, that's work. Meditating on Scripture is hard work. It really is. Witnessing is hard work. I mean, the Christian life involves work, but God says, let us labor. Well, man, I didn't know I was going to join the church and have to work, but that's what God said. In fact, we're seriously considering giving physicals to everybody that joins the church. And... Uh, are you ready to work? No? Okay, then you can go to the Catholic Church. And, uh, but uh, we, we need workers around here. This is a Baptist church, brother. And, uh, 
But the, what God is saying here really is this. He's saying, you know what? You need to, if you want to find rest, you've got to put some effort into it. it. Effort or rest doesn't just one day chase you down, slam you on the ground, and then you're just saying, man, it feels so good. I've been apprehended by rest. No. It comes after spending an hour of prayer, getting up early. <laughs> Spending an hour in prayer or 30 minutes in prayer, spending 10 minutes in your Bible or 15 or 30 or whatever. I mean, it doesn't have, it's not the amount of time. It's just, it takes effort to have a good Christian life. It really does. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. You know, coming to church on Sunday when you'd rather be watching the football game or baseball or going to the lake or, you know, giving the tithe when you'd rather use it for something, you know, fun. It's just work. But you can't have rest if you don't live holy. It just, that's what God is saying. That's why he's saying here, let us labor, work, obedience is where the blessed life is. There was a teenage boy who had just gotten his driver's license. He came back from the DMV and he said to his dad, I'd like to use the car, dad. And the Christian father said, all right, son, let's, uh, let's have a little talk. Let's go into study here. And so they sat down and he said, I'll make a deal with you. I, I would like you to do that. But he said, you bring your grades up, you start getting into your Bible more and you get a haircut and we'll talk about the use of that car. About a month later, the little boy, the teenage boy came back and he made some progress. And dad said, son, I'm very proud of you. you brought up your grades, you're studying your Bible. And he said, but he didn't get a haircut. The young man waited a moment and then thought he had his dad. He said, Dad, I've been thinking about that, really. He said, you know, Samson had long hair. Moses had long hair. Noah had long hair. Even Jesus had long hair. About that point, his father interrupted him and said, yes, son. And they walked everywhere they went. <laughs> and that's what you're going to do, too, until you get your hair cut. You know, obedience to the Father is where it's at. I mean, you can say what you want to. The fact is, just obey the Father. <laughs> and uh, it brings rest. It brings real rest. Now, where do we find the strength to labor? Verse 12, look at it. Here's where we find. I mean, I got something stuck in my finger. I can't work. I, I got something wrong with my bones. I got something wrong with my stomach. I can't work. God said, all right, then let's... Let's do some surgery, verse 12. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than to any, any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you ever had the Bible, have you ever had the two-edged sword of the word ever slice you up? Raise your hand if you've ever been sliced by the word. There have been times, sometimes in private, sometimes in a church service. I was so mad at that stinking preacher. It's like, you know, seriously, are you just going to keep on that point? You know, it's really making me uncomfortable, you know. And uh, boy, some of those guys just drive that thing into the ground. You're thinking, okay, you know what? Find somebody else's sin, would you? That's just getting on my nerves right there. You know, it's my pet sin. And you're just kind of grinding it on me. That word, he's just taking that knife. And he, he didn't just, you know, poke it there. 
He took that knife, went down inside, went down into the joints. No, went past the joints into the marrow. That's the inner part of the bone. God's, it just gets right down on the inside. You can't get away from it. I'm going to run from this. <laughs> yeah, try to run from something's inside your bone marrow. It hurts. And God's slicing and dicing you. And boy, I tell you what, that's what God's saying here. He's saying God's word is a discerner. Now, that word actually is a word we don't like. It's the word for critic. But actually, the word critic is a word we get critique from, and that's a good word. Basically, what God's saying is God's word critiques our lifestyle. He takes the sword and he said, Okay, you want to work? You want to labor for God? You want to find rest in the Lord? Okay. Uh, you got some issues here and, with your joints. And uh, he pokes. And it's sharp, and it cuts both ways, and it gets you. And that's what the Bible does. And that's the reason some people don't like the Bible. (laughs) Because when we're reading the Bible, the Bible is reading us at the same time. That's what Simon Peter happened to him when in Acts chapter 5, verse 33, it says, when they heard his sermon, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart by the discerner of the intents of the heart. Was it because Peter was an audacious preacher because he was a meddler and not a minister? No, it was because the Word of God was poking him. That's what it does. Mark Twain said this. He said, most people are bothered by the passages of Scripture they don't understand. He said, but the passages that bother me are the ones that I do understand. (laughs) And that's why the Word of God can be so relevant because the blessed Holy Spirit, and I, we were talking about this week in our family, how the blessed Holy Spirit can take the same message. I, there have been many times people say, remember that, what you said that one, one sermon? And I'm hearing them tell me, I'm thinking, I never said that. And I know, I never, I never said that. It's never in my notes, as far as I know, I never said it. I've never gone back on them, you know, listened to it. But I don't think, honestly, I've never said that. But it's kind of like on the day of Pentecost. They were preaching, and people were hearing in their own language. And I am convinced that while I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit is preaching a message to you that you need. You're hearing a total different message, everybody, because the Holy Spirit's taking the Word of God, and it is critiquing, it is poking, it is slicing here and slicing there, and it's just, you're going, oh my goodness, whoa, wow, man, and that's what he does, and I've heard people say, man, that's unbelievable, you read my email this week, how could you, how could you know what I was going through? Honestly, I just get up and preach the Word, and the Holy Spirit and the, takes the blessed sword of the Spirit, and He just starts poking and cutting and chopping, and that's what He does. That's his great work. And notice what it says. The word of God is quick. The word there is Zoe. Quick. It's full of life. The Bible pulsates with life. It's unlike any other book. It's a breathing book. It is a singing book. It is a weeping book. It is a living book. It is alive. The Bible is alive. It is quick. It is powerful. The Greek word energy it's a busy work. <laughs> the Word of God goes to work on you like a buzzsaw, and it's busy on you. Oh, man, that's the great thing about the Bible. In fact, notice what the Holy Spirit adds. It says, it is so fine 
in how it gets down to the inside, it can discern between the soul and the spirit. Now we know that mankind has three parts, body, soul, and spirit. But really he has just two um, types maybe. Immaterial and material. I have a flesh and blood and bones and I have gray matter. But that's really not my mind. The gray matter is just the, uh, the process, the, it's, you know, the equipment. But the soul and spirit is in my head, my heart. It's, the Bible puts it together. But there is a difference. The soul really is the mind, the emotions, the will. But the spirit is that part of me that can connect with God. A, uh, an animal has a, a soul of sense, not a, not a soul that goes to heaven, but it, it has a mind that can think. Whether they have emotions or not, I'm not sure. I, sometimes you see those dogs that feel ashamed. You can almost think they do, but I don't know. But uh, they, they at least have a mind that can think. Plants don't have a mind. And uh, that's why I don't feel bad when I cut down a tree. And it's like, you know, oh, you cut down a tree. Yep, that's because it needed to be cut down. And uh, I didn't feel bad at all. Oh, the tree is crying. It's not crying. That's just stuff inside of it. Come on now. So they don't have a soul and a spirit, but a human has a spirit. Now here's the issue. God said many of the things that pass for spiritual are only soulish. I'll use that term. They're spiritual, but then they're soulish. And the Holy Spirit can help you recognize the difference. And if you don't get into the Spirit, you're not going to grow. Many people stop at soulish worship. If there's incense, if there's candles, if there's robes, if there's chants, if there's tradition, if there's a wonderful feeling, if it's a beautiful cathedral, if they can light a candle... They feel good. It doesn't make any difference if the word is preached or what version is preached. It's just whatever. As long as I have a soulish experience. I've been in services before that were so Pentecostal, so emotional, they just didn't, didn't even preach. And they were happy about it because they just, you know, we just had an emotional experience. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to grow. And you can't grow unless we have our spirit fed. And that's what the Word of God does. And that's what he's saying here. I like what A.W. Tozier said about this. He said, faith is seeing the invisible, but not the non-existent. <laughs> and I'm afraid too many church services are, people are seeing the non-existent. I mean, they're seeing apparitions. They're having all these feelings, but it's soulish worship and not spiritual worship. And that's why God said, if you're going to find genuine rest, you have got to find rest in your spirit. You've got to have the Word of God. That must be a part of growing in the Lord. It is the blessed blade of the Holy Ghost. Number one, be aware of faith killers. Number two, be diligent. The mature Christian life is work. Number three, be a witness. Verse 14, let's read it together, all right? Let's not... Uh, Let's finish this out here, all right? Verse 14, ready, begin. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. 
There's that phrase again. Let us, this time, let us hold fast. Now, some people, some schools of thought mistakenly feel that what God is saying here is that we need to hold fast onto our salvation or we might lose it. But I remind you, I don't have to hold him. He is holding me. And this word here is profession or confession. It actually comes from a Greek word, which means to say the same thing that God does. In other words, to agree with God about what he's saying. The Jews, again, the chapter four is about the Jews. It's all about their history. The Jews had lost their testimony. I mean, they blew it, and now they were wandering in the wilderness for year after year because they had lost their testimony. And yet, praise the Lord, they were still under the cloud. They were still redeemed from Egypt. God didn't send them back to Egypt because they blew it. They were still saved, but they had lost their testimony. They were a powerless people. God brought them out. But sadly, they would not trust him to bring them in. What was the answer? Look at your high priest. Seeing then that we have a high priest, Jesus. Look at Jesus, and you'll find the ability to have a powerful confession. A person who falls in love with Jesus a person is a person who embraces the priesthood of Christ. When we embrace the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we fall in love with God. And I've met many people who go to church. I've met many folks who will join a church. But when you talk to them, after very long at all, it's pretty evident they are not in love with Jesus. They don't have a, they don't find there just those moments, those times when they connect to the Lord. It may be a soulless thing, but it is a spiritual, just that, that love. I remember our daughter Elizabeth saying one time when she was growing up and did all she was supposed to do the best she could, not perfect by any means, but there was a time when she was a teenager when she fell in love with Jesus. And I loved that phrase. She had, she fell in love with Jesus before she had fell in love with Anthony. And that's a wonderful thing right there. When you fall in love with Jesus and then somebody else falls in love with Jesus, boy, you have a great connection point right there. Oswald Chambers said this, if I work for God because I know it brings me the good opinion of those whose good opinion I wish to have, I'm a Pharisee. But if I work for Jesus because I love Jesus, then I will serve humanity, though men and women treat me like a doormat. There are some folks, boy, if they don't get the lights, if they don't get the top billing, if they don't get everything just their way, I mean, they're gone. They just... You know what? When you're in love with Jesus, it doesn't make any difference. Scrub toilets, it makes no difference. As long as I'm, ser- I'm so in love with Jesus, I'll just do whatever it takes. When we allow Jesus to be our high priest, we fall in love with him, and we have a strong testimony before the world. I love the old hymn by Philip Paul Bliss. Maybe that's what he was experiencing when he said, Jesus loves even me. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. 
Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. And then he adds that little phrase, Jesus loves even me, me. He loves me. And that's what God wants us to remember, that if we will stay Christ-centered, we'll be a strong witness. And no matter what comes, you'll be able to find rest because people who you know, aren't Christ-centered, they, they lose their rest. They lose their peace. They lose their joy. But when, keep our eyes on Jesus. Well, that pastor, he offended me. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Well, that brother he did, or that sister, keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep them on Jesus. People are going to offend you. Don't let the world steal your testimony. Just keep confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing that he loves you. And that's what he's saying here. Don't lose your testimony. Be a strong witness. And then finally this morning, be bold. Be bold. That is, have a powerful prayer life. Let's read verse 16 together. Ready, begin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, don't mistake the word boldly. God is not saying come proudly. <laughs> He's saying come boldly. Perhaps the greatest Old Testament illustration of that would be Abraham pleading for God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. What a model of bold praying. Again and again, he just kept coming to the Lord, but he was never proud. In fact, you could sense it each time he came with great deference in one place saying, I am just dust and ashes before you, God. But he still was very bold in coming, asking for God to save Sodom and Gomorrah. Boldly means coming constantly for anything and for everything. Boldly means coming without reservation. We don't have to feel like, you know, God, no way I'm going to come to God. I, when I read these verses, I'm reminded of similar, maybe going to the White House. Imagine, you know, trying to make our way into the White House and there's all these people that are writing books saying they used to do this or do this with President Trump. A lot of it, I'm sure, is a bunch of garbage. But the fact is, really, you think all these people spent hours and hours? I mean, you, there's no way to even get a few minutes with the president. But God's saying here, we can have all the time we want with the master of the universe. God said, come for anything and everything. Nothing is too trivial. You don't have to have a reservation. You don't have to have a uh, you know, a gilded card that says, you know, come on in. No. Boldly means freely and simplicity. Sometimes people say, well, boy, I don't, I just don't know what to pray. What their meaning is, I don't know how to pray like I hear people pray in public, you know. They have a lot of theological words, but you know what, folks? God wants us to pray as naturally as possible, just simply. When my children came to me. None of them still come to me this way, but when they would come and ask for something, they didn't come and say, my father, who art in our house, I am wishing for a time that I might hear from thee. I wish thee that thou wouldest listen to my uh, humble petition. And if thou wouldest humble, if thou wouldest uh, grant me thy time, I come before you wishing that I might uh, be able to go outside and play on my bike. And uh, 
they would never do that. I mean, this very naturally and respectfully, they just make a request, and that's what God wants us to do. In fact, even the little ones, when they're little children, you know, uh, we, even act, we actually even enjoy the funny words that they say. And it's, I'm sure God and the Holy Spirit are laughing in heaven at some of the things we tell God. And uh, I've, uh, I know I do sometimes when I pray. I'm thinking, like, you know, a lot of times I catch myself telling God about stuff that, like he didn't know, you know. You know, uh, you know what they did over there and that, and, and, and I think, oh, yeah, you know that. <laughs> well, just get to what your request is, and that's what God wants to us. Boldly means coming with absolute confidence that we'll get something from God. I mean, just praying is, to me, I'm not going to pray unless I feel like it's going to work. Will, will something happen to it? And that's what God does. The devil wants us to believe that God is unapproachable. But God says we can come boldly through the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil wants us to think that God is unable to do anything, but he wants us to remember that he sits on a throne. And if he sits on a throne, he can do something about what's going on. But it's a throne of grace. Hallelujah. That means I can come to him by his grace. You know, I'll tell you one thing. In ancient history, if anybody ever decided that they well, I'm just going to go in and see the king and walk on into the king, you're gone. I mean, you were dead. Unless the king put out his scepter and say, come on in, it wouldn't work. And I'll tell you one thing, that's what God is saying here. He's saying, you can come, and you can come now, and you will find help. Again, a wonderful word study here helps to just uh, make the meaning that much richer. Help. The word's only used twice in the New Testament, help. The other time is used in the book of Acts, chapter 27. And it's actually a nautical term. It is referring to the cables. It's an actual Greek word for the cables that they wrapped around the hull of the ship that Paul was in. Those wooden slat ships in heavy storms might come apart. So they would wrap these cables, uh, however they would weave them together. They would wrap them around them, and it would hold all the joints. It would hold all the slats. It would hold the whole boat together. It helped the boat. That's the exact same word here. And God says, you will find help. You will find the, you will find the cables to hold together your life you can come right to the throne to one who can do something about it. Come to him. Be bold. He wants you to come. What a great God. In Christ, we have a love that can never be heaven, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, resources that never have been exhausted, and a rest that can never be disturbed. That's what we have in Christ. He is our helper, and he will help you come boldly to that throne. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.